Hi, I'm Ken Sandberg. And I'm Heather Michelle Lawler. And this is Campfire Classics, where we try to read those books that look really good on your shelf. Boxer there ever was. There's just spit on my hands now and a mildly okay line. <laughs> that was that was in honor of your attempted beatboxing uh, during the yesterday Beach Boys song. When I was yeah. singing. It was good. The song "Darling" by the Beach Boys just it needs to needs to have a hip hop beat. It craves that that beatbox. So sound. Uh, anyone out there who's good at beatboxing, uh, pull that up and see what you can do because. Mine wasn't great. Yeah, so here's here is I don't think we've done a challenge in a couple of episodes. We so here is here is a challenge to you right off the bat from us right off the bat. Pull up the song "Darlin'" by the Beach Boys. It's a great little song, mm-hmm. and send us a video of you beatboxing over the top of the Beach Boys' "Darlin'." Ah, uh, yeah. I'm, I want to. I want to see it. it. I want to hear it. I want to hear what you got. <laughs> um, send us that so that we can say thank you. Yeah. So what were we doing? Well, yesterday we did like a happy hour for my mother's wine group. <laughs> yeah, that was, it was actually really fun. It was fun. so nice. It was delightful. Yeah, um, they were wonderful and we kind of we got to do a, like a piano bar feel as opposed to a cabaret performance feel. It was more, we were background. Yeah, we it was a good time. We some new stuff. It was I had great. fun with it. It was really fun. Played a bunch of very random eclectic selection of music. Uh, and, uh, uh, people seem to enjoy it. Yeah, so that maybe, I think that's going to be something we're going to start working on now. Like, yeah. we just keep adding to the list. Like, yeah. this is, um, this has become a very busy time for us. Which uh, is great. Which it Keeps which us has from going good. insane. <laughs> <laughs> to people out there that are, it's not a busy time, that's how you're not going insane. This yeah. is how we're not going insane. Keep by busy, making keep busy, keep busy, keep busy. <laughs> Speaking of making things, um, we're making a podcast, and you can become a patron, and somebody <laughs> did this week! Oh, wow, that was a really slick transition. I'm so smooth. Um, we want to thank Lindsay Wagner. Thank you so much. Um, from Tipton, Iowa. And uh, Lindsay and I went to high school together, and she's amazing. She, Her and I, we did... Uh, the Storytelling Project, my freshman year, which was a devised theater piece based on the Seven Stages of Man by Shakespeare. We All were right. both 14, and <laughs> that's the kind of theater we did at West High. Wow. Um, so, of course, we that's were bonded heavy forever. shit for a high school. Yeah, right? Um, I like that. But Lindsay's amazing. We had choir together in theater, and she's such a talented, sweet, wonderful human being. So, so welcome. thank you, Lindsay. Welcome to the party, Lindsay. Welcome to, welcome to patronship of... 5050 Arts Production You are company. a founding patron, and if you want to become a patron like the coolest Lindsay Wagner and all our other patrons, um, we're trying to hit 20. We got like another week. We're trying to hit, and the first 20 will be our founding patrons forever. So go to patreon.com slash 5050 Arts Production and check it out. Last week, because my mother donated uh became a a patron at At the the producer producer level we sang her an improvised thank you song it makes sense to me that my mother would be the first person (laughs) to to clock in at the producer level because she is without a doubt my biggest fan yeah however she is also without a doubt (laughs) 
my harshest critic. As good parents as, are. As good parents are, because <laughs> after listening to last week's episode, she sent me a text message <laughs> calling me out on my, um, shall we call them inconsistent linguistic convictions. <laughs> Uh, in, I love you, Jamie. In uh, <laughs> in in our episode uh, in the Agatha Christie episode, yes, I went on a long rant against the misuse of the word literally. Yes, he um, got very angry. Go back and listen to that if you want to. The very I could. First I think it was the first episode. Yeah. I could punch it in here, but I don't want to do that. <laughs> I want to make you go listen to it. You should anyway. Um, it's the you first episode. You should listen to it anyway. But I went on a lengthy anti literally. Anti-literally rant when used incorrectly. And apparently in last week's episode, when (laughs) discussing the similarities between (laughs) ghosts and caterpillars, I said they were literally the same thing (laughs) uh, and was... Was called Lambasted out. Lambasted by your mother. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was rough. <laughs> it's pretty funny. And my um, favorite part is you reached out to her to ask if she, if you could publicly state that she called you out. Yeah, and she I, said uh, yes. Yeah, I, I when I when I texted back, I said, uh, "Great, I will confess to this error on the podcast. Would you like to be named <laughs> when I make my confession?" And she said, "Absolutely." Unless it would be a funnier bit if it is an unnamed critic. So thank you, Mom, for sacrificing to the funniness of the bit. Because it's pretty funny that your mom just called you out on our podcast. Um, That said, I don't feel bad about it because I misused the word literally in a bit. When I was comparing ghosts to caterpillars. Well, to be fair. So anyone who thought I. Oh, what's his face? Oh, Henry was comparing ghosts to caterpillars. But anyone who thought that I was literally comparing ghosts and caterpillars (laughs) as being literally the same thing was literally mistaken. (laughs) The eternal battle in in the United States and the English language right now is the use of literally. Yeah, I still, I, so I have had a longstanding mistrust of Webster and his dictionary, (laughs) um, despite my hatred of people misusing particular words. But um, recently, the Webster dictionary people confirmed my hatred for them when they changed the definition of literally to mean figuratively. There's two definitions Uh, that contradict each other. So, um... So yeah, that's Webster's coming out with some weird choices. So that's that's why I hate everything today. <laughs> <laughs> I would say that's why we drink, but that's my that's the podcast I listen to. That's, shout I, out, I feel like, shout out to my girls. I shout feel out. like if if you if you say if you say that we we're in danger of trademark infringement. Okay, delete um, that. <laughs> yeah, I'll cut that out. Uh, so wanna, is that is that good? Yeah, you want to you want to read? Like start the podcast Let's now. Start the actual podcast. Um, uh, though our lives are super interesting right now. We so should do yeah. Thing. So for those of you who uh, for whom episode eight, welcome to episode eight. Welcome. For those of you for whom this is your first episode, uh, this is Campfire Classics. We take books um, from classic authors from time gone by. From public domain. Public domain. 
uh, and try to read them to you here, live, sight unseen, and sometimes it goes well and sometimes it doesn't. If this is your first episode, welcome. enjoy, welcome to the party. I suppose every episode is someone's first someone's episode. Someone's first, yeah. Um, but when you finish this, go back to episode one. Yeah, and learn like all the things and follow, all the authors. Follow our path. And for this one, I get to pick the book for Ken. Yeah, so, so what am I reading? So I'm very excited because this was kind of a request, but you don't know what's coming. So you mm-hmm. said you'd be interested in reading some more H.G. Wells. So you're gonna. Okay. <laughs> Yay. So H.G. Wells was our third episode. Yep. So this is eight. So it's five later. Okay. And um, I found the mother load of H.G. Wells short stories on the internet. Great. So there's going to be many. And if you guys listen to the star... It's fantastic. I have a feeling this one's going to be very different just because of the title. But um, before I give you the the book, I'm okay. going to give you some fun facts. Excellent. All right. I like fun facts. So H.G. Wells um, was an output like master. He wrote three novels like a year. That was his average. Jesus. So he was like kicking ass. So The Island of Dr. Moreau, The Invisible Man, and The War of the Worlds all came out within like a year of each other. Wow. Yeah. All right. So, uh, and Orson Welles. Dude was prolific. He was very busy. And, like, I mean, I guess there was before the internet and stuff, so might as well. He didn't, didn't have anything else to do. Might as well write it. Although it was also before computers, so he was doing it all, like, on a typewriter. He was typewritering or just handwriting. Who knows? Um, but in 1938, Orson Welles broadcast The War of the Worlds, and mm-hmm. this is a famous thing, on the radio. Yep. So he read The War of the Worlds out loud on the radio in the style of a radio broadcast, and, like, there was mass chaos. Oh, yeah. People freaked the fuck people out. people actually thought that aliens were landing in New Jersey. And if aliens do land, it will probably be in New Jersey. And Let's no be one will know the difference. <laughs> no one will know. They'll be like, what? Um, but that, so mass panic. And uh, that's fun. I, I'd actually seen that at the Orson Welles Museum. <laughs> But I never connected that to H.G. Wells until we started doing this. So, yay, education. Yeah, same last name. Yeah, it's great. Um, I'm going to, this is my favorite one. I have so many fun facts about him, but I do want to get to the story. So, or uh, Orson Wells, H.G. Wells is on the cover of Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. Really? It's right here. I'm going to show it to you, and we're going to put it up on our website and on the Patreon page. He is sandwiched between, it says, the dead ringer for the Mona Lisa and an Indian guru favored by George Harrison. So it's at the top right corner and right by the guy with the really crazy mustache and who looks like uh, the Mona Lisa. That's an, Two that, over from the guy in the funny yellow hat. That's an Indian guru? I thought, that guy. I thought that was Karl Marx. Oh, between Karl Marx. Oh, oh no, it is an Indian guru. Yeah. Oh, oh the person that. who looks like Mona Lisa is an Indian guru. I yes. So <laughs> the one that looks like Mona Lisa is an Indian guru. Um. So yeah, that's that's him. That's H.G. Right. Wells because because Yoko Ono and John really loved H.G. Wells, and there's a quote from them, uh, in uh. In 2009, Yoko Ono told a magazine, John and I felt like we were people in an H.G. Wells story. Two people who are walking so fast that nobody else can see them. (laughs) A reference to Wells' 1901 short story, The New Accelerator. 
which is not what you're reading. Okay. I thought about it, and I was like, no, because that kind of gives away what what it is. <laughs> but what you are reading, so uh, so H.G. Wells, Orson Wells, like made it, like loved him. Freaking last time we learned, Winston Churchill loved him, and now the Beatles <laughs> loved him and and Yoko. So, all right. So today, you are going to read the Magic Shop. The Magic Shop. Yeah. All right. There you go. Let's start the campfire. Oh. The Magic Shop by H.G. Wells. I had seen the magic shop from afar several times. I had passed it once or twice, a shop window of alluring little objects, magic balls, magic hens, wonderful cones, ventriloquist dolls, and material of the basket tr- uh, the material of the basket trick, packs of cards that looked all right, and all that sort of thing. <laughs> But never had I thought of going in until one day, almost without warning, Gip hauled me by my finger right up to the window, and so conducted himself that there was nothing for it but to take him in. Is Gip his child? Uh, possibly. (laughs) I'm assuming? That's what it sounds like. That's a funny name. Gip? How do you spell it? G-I-P. Gip. Gip. I had not thought the place was there. To tell the truth, a modest-sized frontage in Regent, on Regent Street between the picture shop and the place where the chicks run about just out of the patent incubators. <laughs> so the, the whorehouse? <laughs> the, no. I know it's chickens. Well, chickens from the incubators. I know. Little prostitute chickens. <laughs> Little prostitute chickens. Little prostitute chickens. They've just been incubating. Oh, yeah, you gotta keep them warm. Gotta keep those chicks warm. But there it was, sure enough. I had fancied it was down nearer the circus, or round the corner in Oxford Street, or even in Holborn. Always over the way, and a little inaccessible it had been, with something of the mirage in its position. But... Here it was now, quite indisputedly, and the fat end of Gip's pointing finger made a noise upon the glass. "'If I was rich,' said Gip, dabbing a finger at the disappearing egg, "'I'd buy myself that, and that,' which was the crying baby, very human. "'Ew, why?' (laughs) "'And that!' which was a mystery and called, so, a neat card inserted, Buy one and astonish your friends. Anything, said Gip, will disappear under one of those cones. I have read about it in a book. And their data, okay, good, I was right, it is his (laughs) child. And their data is the vanishing halfpenny, only... They've put it this way up, so we can't see how it's done. Uh, I feel like this is young Barney Stinson, like, dragging yeah. his dad. <laughs> young Barney Stinson dragging John Lithgow John over Lithgow. to the, the windows. <laughs> yeah. Gip, dear boy, inherits his mother's breeding, and he did not propose to enter the shop or worry in any way. Only, you know, quite unconsciously, he lugged my finger doorward, and he made his interest clear. That, 
he said and pointed to the magic bottle. If you had that, I said, at which promising inquiry he looked up with a sudden radiance. I would show it to Jesse, he said, thoughtful as ever of others. It's less than a hundred days to your birthday, Gibbles, I said, and laid my hand on the door handle. (laughs) Gip made no answer, but his grip tightened on my finger, and so we came into the shop. Wait, so this kid's name is Gibbles, and they call him Gip? (laughs) Or his name is Gip, and they call him Gibbles. (laughs) For long. Is that a common name back then? I I don't know. Gibbles. He sounds like, it sounds like drooling or gerbils or I don't know. Yep. Yep. Well, maybe it's like a string of nicknames that have Have gone gone on the wayside. His name is actually John. (laughs) But he was little little guppy and then he was little gup and then he was little gip. Now he's Gibbles. Gibbles. (laughs) Soon he's going to be kibbles and then it's kibbles and bits and then he's going to be little bit. Kibbles and bits and bits and bits. (laughs) Then he's going to be bit and then he's going to be bitch. Oh, damn. Maybe that that's like his college nickname. <laughs> <laughs> it was no common shop, this. It was a magic shop. And all the prancing precedence Gip would have taken in the matter of mere toys was wanting. He left the burthen of the... Con- burthen. It's a burthen. weird way of... I'm, I'm guessing he left the burden of the conversation to me. It's just an old way of spelling... Burthen. Bird, bird, Ooh, like burthen. It. He left the burden of the conversation to me. It was a little narrow shop, not very well lit, and the doorbell pinged again with a plaintive note as we closed it behind us. For a moment or so, we were alone and could glance about us. There was a tiger in paper mache on the glass case that covered the low counter, a grave, kind-eyed tiger that waggled his head in a methodical manner. There were several crystal spheres, a china hand holding magic cards, a stock of magic fish bowls in various sizes, and an immodest magic hat that shamelessly displayed its springs. I feel like they're like in a like thrift store. <laughs> yeah, they're they're in a creepy like they're haunted in a creepy like old magic yeah. shop. Like this is like not this is not the uh prankster shop that like we go into and get like whoopee cushions and fart powder. This is like the creepy like real magic shop where they have shriveled heads and stuff. Well, in fairness, this is 1903. That <laughs> Things were creepier in 1903, <laughs> that is for sure. This is, this is, this is essentially... Uh, yeah, you don't buy candy cigarettes in here. You buy, like, this things is, that have, like, voodoo dolls. They stumbled upon Nocturne Alley, is what uh, they did. Oh, yeah. yeah. They're, they're Harry about to, Potter! They just walked into Borgen and Burke's. Sweet. Um, on the floor were magic mirrors, one to draw you out long and thin, one to swell your head and vanish your legs, and one to make you short and fat. <laughs> and while we were laughing at these, the shopman, as I suppose, came in. Uh-oh. This guy's going to be creepy, I feel. At any rate, there he was behind the counter in uh, a curious, sallow, dark man with one ear larger than the other and a chin like a toe cap of a boot. 
What can we have the pleasure, he said, spreading his long, magic fingers on the glass case. And so, with a start, we were aware of him. I want, I said, to buy my little boy a few simple tricks. Ledger domain, he asked. Mechanical? Domestic? What's ledger domain? I, I don't know. Do you want to look it <laughs> yeah, up? Yeah, kind of do. <laughs> okay, ledger domains. L-E-G-E-R-D-E-M-A-I-N. Ledger domain. Oh, skillful use of one's hands when performing and conjuring tricks. So it's like close-up magic. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's I want to buy my ledger domain. Ledger domain. Okay, so what, next time you see a friend so like, do like a card trick that like they can make like fans or cards disappear. And yeah, stuff, they're Man, doing um, ledger domain. Manipula- manipulation tricks, sleight of oh, hand tricks. That's cool. Sleight of ledger hand. Ledger domain. Sleight Love of hand. Love it. Love it. Ledger domain. Mechanical. Domestic. Anything amusing? I said. Um, said the shopman and scratched his head for a moment as if thinking. Then, quite distinctly, he drew from his head a glass ball. Something in this way, he said and held it out. The action was unexpected. I had seen the trick done at entertainments endless times before. It's part of the common stock of conjurers, but I had not expected it here. (laughs) "'That's good,' I said with a laugh. "'Isn't it?' said the shopman. (laughs) Gip stretched out his disengaged hand to take this object and found merely a blank palm. "'It's in your pocket,' said the shopman. "'And there it was.' "'How much will that be?' I asked. We make no charge for glass balls, said the shopman politely. We get them, he picked one out of his elbow as he spoke, free. He produced another from the back of his neck and laid it beside its predecessor on the counter. Gip regarded his glass ball sagely, then directed a look of inquiry at the two on the counter and finally brought his round-eyed scrutiny to the shopman, who smiled. "'You may have those, too,' said the shopman. "'And if you don't mind, one from my mouth.'" Ew! So... He's pulling balls out of his mouth? Gip... (laughs) (laughs) (sighs) Doesn't the trick usually go the other way? (laughs) That's why they're free. usually have to pay for that, too. Yeah, you do. I guess when they're coming out, you don't have to pay for you, it. You pay when they go in, not when they come out. Gip Life counseled lesson. me... Gip... Gip... Oh, Gip counseled me mutely for a moment, and then, in a profound silence, put away the four balls, resumed my reassuring finger, and nerved himself for the next event. We get all our smaller tricks in that way, the shopman remarked. I laughed in a manner of one who subscribes to a jest. (laughs) Instead of going to the wholesale shop, I said, of course, it's cheaper. In a way, said the shopman. Though we pay in the end, but not so heavily as people suppose. 
Our larger tricks and our daily provisions and all the other things we want, we get out of that hat. And you know, sir, if you'll excuse my saying it, there isn't a wholesale shop. Not for genuine magic goods, sir. I don't know if you noticed our inscription, The Genuine Magic Shop. He drew a business card from his cheek and handed it to me. <laughs> Genuine, he said, with his finger on the word, and added, There is absolutely no deception, sir. No, I just hide shit all around my body <laughs> and pull it out. <laughs> I've sewn a pocket into my cheek. Into my cheek and in my mouth and in my pocket and in and my And this ear. is a wig. Well, now we know why one ear is bigger than the other, because one has got... a glass ball in it. <laughs> He seems to be ball pocket. He seemed to be carrying out the joke pretty thoroughly, I thought. He turned to Gip with a smile of remarkable affability. You, you know, are the right sort of boy. Ew. <laughs> I was surprised at his knowing he's that. A, he's a wizard. Because in the interests of discipline, we keep it rather secret even at home, but Gip received it in unflinching silence keeping a steadfast eye on him. It's only the right sort of boy gets through that doorway. And as if by way of illustration, there came a rattling at the door, and a squeaking little voice could be faintly heard, Nyar, I wanna go in there, Dada! I wanna go in there, Nyar! <laughs> And then the accents of a downtrodden parent urging consolations and pro, propish, propit, ooh, propitiations, propitiations. I don't know, but that's propitiations. I want to look it up. P R O P. P R O P. I T. I T. I A. I A. T I O N S. T I O N S. Uh, propit. Propitation, the action of propitating or appeasing a god, a spirit, or a person. Okay, so look up propitiate. Yeah, propitiate. Atonement, especially that of Jesus Christ. Propitiation. Atonement. Okay, Atonement. right. So then, in accents of a downtrodden parent urging consolations or propitiations, it's locked, Edward. <gasps> but it isn't, I said. It is, sir, said the shopman, always for that sort of child. Because he goes, Because he goes, Nyar! Nyar! And as he spoke, we had a glimpse of the other youngster, a little white face, pallid from sweet eating and over-sapid food, a dis and distorted by evil passions, a ruthless little egotist, pawing at the enchanted pain. Wait, are we in Willy Wonka's chocolate factory? Certainly seems like oh it. Oh my god! It's no good, sir, said the shopman as I moved with my natural helpfulness doorward, and presently the spoiled child was carried off, howling. Yar! How do you manage that, I said, breathing a little more freely. Magic said the shopman with a careless wave of the hand, and behold, sparks of colored fire flew out of his fingers and vanished into the shadows of the shop. 
You were saying, he said, addressing himself to Gip, before you came in, that you would like one of our buy one and astonish your friends boxes? Gip, after a gallant effort, said, Yes. It is in your pocket. And leaning over the counter, he really had an extraordinarily long body, this amazing person produced the article in the customary conjurer's manner. Paper, he said, and took a sheet out of the empty hat with the springs. String. And behold, his mouth was a string box from which he drew an unending thread, which, when he had tied his parcel, he bit off, and it seemed to me, swallowed the ball of string. Ew, God, this guy's pulling so much shit out of his mouth. Like, Wasn't there a guy on, like, uh, America's Got Talent or something yes. who, who did that? He'd, who like, like swallow a bunch of stuff and then... And, like, cough it up cough in it order. Cough it up in order. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe that's just what this guy's doing, or... Or he's a demon wizard. Oh, I know it's very upsetting. Me. Like that is very that is a talent. I will not I will not say that's not talent, but I can't watch it because mm. I'm like why why no. <laughs> you're basically throwing up on purpose in order. <laughs> okay, uh, so he swallowed the ball of string and then he lit a candle at the nose of one of the ventriloquist dummies stuck one of his fingers, which had become sealing wax red, into the flame and sealed the parcel. Whoa. Then there was the disappearing egg, he remarked, and produced one from within my coat breast and packed it, and also the crying baby, very human. I handed each parcel to Gip as it was ready, and he clasped them to his chest. He said very little, but his eyes were eloquent. The clutch of his arms was eloquent. He was the playground of unspeakable emotions. These, you know, were real magics. Then, with a start, I discovered something moving about in my hat, something soft and jumpy. I whipped it off, and a ruffled pigeon, no doubt a confederate, dropped out and ran on the counter and went, I fancy, into a cardboard box behind the papier-mâché tiger. Tut, tut, said the shopman, dexterously relieving me of my headdress. Careless bird, and as I live, nesting. He shook my hat and shook out into his extended hand two or three eggs, a large marble, a watch, about half a dozen of the inevitable glass balls, <laughs> and then crumpled, crinkled paper, more and more and more, talking all the time of the way in which people neglect to brush their hats inside as well as out. Politely, of course, but with a certain personal application. All sorts of things accumulate, sir. Not you, of course, in particular. Nearly every customer. Astonishing what they carry about with them. So this guy is Willy Wonka and uh, Mary Poppins at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Cool. All right. The crumpled paper rose and billowed on the counter more and more and more until he was nearly hidden from us. 
until he was altogether hidden, and still his voice went on and on. We none of us know what the fair semblance of a human being may conceal, sir. Are we all then no better than brushed exteriors, whited sepulchres? His voice stopped, exactly like when you hit a neighbor's gramophone with a well-aimed brick. The same instant, silence, and the rustle of paper stopped, and everything was still. What have you done with my hat? I said after an interval. There was no answer. I stared at Gip, and Gip stared at me. And there were our distortions in the magic mirrors, looking very rum and grave and quiet. I think we'll go now, <laughs> I said. Yeah. <laughs> Will you tell me how much all this comes to? I say, I said on a rather louder note, I want the bill. And my hat, please. <laughs> It might have been a sniff from behind the paper pile. Let's look behind the counter, Gip, I said. He's making fun of us. Uh. I led Gip round the head-wagging tiger, and what do you think there was behind the counter? Nothing. No one at all. <laughs> Only my hat on the floor and a common conjurer's lop-eared white rabbit lost in meditation, and looking as stupid and crumpled as only a conjurer's rabbit could do. I've resumed my hat, and the rabbit lolloped a lollop or so out of my way. What? Dada, said Gip in a guilty whisper. What is it, Gip? I said. I do like this shop, Dada. <laughs> what? Demon kid, demon child. So should I. I said to myself, if the counter wouldn't suddenly extend itself and shut one off from the door. But I didn't call Gip's attention to that. Pussy, I said, with the hand out to the rabbit as it came lolloping past us. Pussy, do Gip a magic. And his eyes followed it as it squeezed through a door I had certainly not remarked a moment before. Then this door opened wider, and the man, with one ear larger than the other, appeared again. He was smiling still, but his eye met mine with something between amusement and defiance. You'd like to see our showroom, sir. No, he said, no, do not go in that with door. With an innocent suavity, Gip tugged my finger forward. I glanced at the counter and met the shopman's eye again. I was beginning to think the magic just a little too genuine. We haven't very much time, I said, but somehow we were inside the showroom before I could finish oh, that. Oh, no, it's bad. You don't ever go in the door. <laughs> All goods of the same quality, said the shopman, rubbing his flexible hands together, and that is the best. Nothing in the place that isn't genuine magic and warranted thoroughly rum. Excuse me, sir. 
I felt him pull at something that clung to my coat sleeve, and then I saw he held a little wriggling red demon by the tail. The little creature bit and fought and tried to get at his hand, and in a moment he tossed it carelessly behind a counter. No doubt the thing was only an image of twisted rubber, but for the moment... And his gesture was exactly that of a man who handles some petty, biting kind of vermin. I glanced at Gip, but Gip was looking at a magic rocking horse. I was glad he hadn't seen the thing. I say, I said in an undertone, indicating Gip and the red demon with my eyes, you haven't many things like that about, have you? None of ours. Probably brought it with you, said the shopman, also in an undertone. See, that that kid's demon. That's like demon babies in his his, his soul. (laughs) (laughs) This is is the kid from uh, The Omen. What's his name? That's why uh, he was allowed in. He's yeah. about to get cleansed. He's about to get. He's about to get exercised. Um, and with a more dazzling smile than ever, the shopman said, "Astonishing what people will carry about with them unawares." And then to Gip, "Do you see anything you fancy here?" Isn't there a Doctor Who episode like this too, where there's like spiders on people and they don't know it? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, although that that was that was uh, that was planted on Donna. Yeah. Um, when when there was some lady trying to get her to go back in time and change decisions she made yeah. to screw up the yeah. timeline. Yeah. So it's yeah. like it's like yeah, people don't even realize it's on them. Ugh. Ugh. <laughs> ugh. I said it like sh- I'm shivering. <laughs> uh, Do you see anything you fancy here? There were many things that Gip fancied there. He turned to this astonishing tradesman with mingled confidence and respect. Is that a magic sword? he said. A magic toy sword. It neither bends, breaks, nor cuts the fingers. It renders the bearer invincible in battle against anyone under (laughs) eighteen. Half a crown to seven and sixpence, according to size. These panoplies on cards are for juvenile knights errant and very useful. Shield of safety, sandals of swiftness, helmet of of invisibility. Oh, it is Harry Potter. (laughs) Oh, daddy, gasped Gip. I tried to find out what they cost, but the shopman did not heed me. He had got Gip now. Just he had got soul. him away from my finger. He had embarked upon the exposition of all his confounded stock, and nothing was going to stop him. Presently, I saw with a qualm of distrust and something very like jealousy that Gip had hold of this person's finger, as usually he has hold of mine. No doubt the fellow was interesting, I thought, and had an interestingly faked lot of stuff. Really good faked stuff. Still. This is not good. Uh, Get out of the room, take your child, go. Well, it is an H.G. Wells story. How often is it good? I I wandered after them, saying very little, but keeping an eye on this prestidigital fellow. 
After all, Gip was enjoying it, and no doubt when the time came to go, we should be able to go quite easily. It was a long, rambling place, that showroom, a gallery broken up by by stands and stalls and pillars, with archways leading off to other departments in which the queerest-looking assistants loafed and stared at one with perplexing mirrors and curtains. So perplexing, indeed, were these that... I was presently unable to make out the door by which we had come. Yeah, you... you uh, it, Because this, it's not there anymore. It's like Game of Thrones and the, 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 the Temple of the Undying. Like, you, you, like, get lost and there's, like, yeah, and, oh, they're gonna... Oh, it's not good. It's horrible, not good. Horrible, horrible, horrible uh, carnival, like, yeah. um, the hallway of mirrors shit. Oh, God. <laughs> the shopman showed Gip magic trains that ran without steam or clockwork. Just as you set the signals, and then some very, very valuable boxes of soldiers that all came alive directly you took off the lid and said, I myself haven't a very quick ear, and it was a tongue-twisting sound, but Gip, he has his mother's ear, got it in no time. Now yeah. I understand that sentence. Yeah. Like, I'm going to go back and Gip read that again. understood like, the language, yeah. but Dad didn't. Yep. Yeah. I'm going to go back and read it's that like sentence again. It's like parcel tongue. Yeah. Uh, and then some very, very valuable boxes of soldiers that all came alive directly when you took off the lid and said, I myself haven't a very quick ear, and it was a tongue-twisting sound, but Gip, he has his mother's ear, got it in no time. See, he's a wizard. Bravo, said the shopman, putting the men back into the box unceremoniously and handing it to Gip. Now, said the shopman, and in a moment, Gip had made them all alive again. You'll take that box? asked the shopman. We'll take that box, I said, unless you charge its full value, in which case it would need a trust magnet. (laughs) Dear heart, no. And the shopkeeper swept the little men back again, shut the lid, waved the box in the air, and there it was, in a brown paper bag, tied up and with Gip's full name and address on the paper. Ew, ew, ew! The shopman laughed at my amazement. This is the genuine magic, he said. The real thing. It's a little too genuine for my taste, I said again. Like, I believe magic is real. Like, anyone who has watched me watch a magic show knows this. <laughs> but this shit's dark, and I'm I'm scared. <laughs> you walk into this shop, and you're not going to be amused. You're going to no, be freaked like, the hell I out. I absolutely believe magic's real, and ma- real, like magicians are insanely talented, and like, holy crap, but what is happening? <laughs> no. After that, he fell to showing Gip tricks. Odd tricks, and still odder the way they were done. He explained them, he turned them inside out, And there was the dear little chap nodding his busy bit of a head in the sagest manner. I did not attend as well as I might. Hey, presto, said the uh, magic shopman, and then would come a clear small, Hey, presto, off the boy. But I was distracted by other things. 
It was being borne in upon me just how tremendously rum this place was. It was, so to speak, inundated by the sense. There was something a little odd about the fixtures, even, about the ceiling, about the floor, about the casually distributed chairs. I had a queer feeling that whenever I wasn't looking at them straight, they went askew and moved about and played a noiseless puss in the corner behind my back. And the cornice had a serpentine design with masks. Masks altogether too expressive for proper plaster. Then... It's the voodoo man from Princess and the, Princess, uh, <laughs> the Frog. The Shadow Man. It's the Shadow Man. My God, there's so many references. <laughs> you're, making a, you're making a lot of connections in this. Well, I mean, like, seriously, I feel like everyone pulled from this. Like, I mean, he says he's super long and, like... Unlike you know, I don't know. Ooh. Not not quite even. And now the masks on the wall, like yep. ah. Then abruptly, my attention was caught by one of the odd-looking assistants. He was some way off and evidently unaware of my presence. I saw a sort of three-quarter length of him over a pile of toys and through an arch, and you know. He was leaning against a pillar in an idle sort of way, doing the most horrid things with his features. The particular horrid thing he did was with his nose. He did it just as though he was idle and wanted to amuse himself. First of all, it was a short, blobby nose, and then suddenly he shot it out like a telescope. And then out it flew and became thinner and thinner until it was like a long, red, flexible whip. Like a thing in a nightmare it was. He flourished it about and flung it forth as a fly fisher flings his line. No! No, leave! That was a fun sentence. I'm going to read that again. He flourished it about and flung it forth as a fly fisher flings his line. That is like that one line I had in the one book. It's like, say that fast ten times. My instant thought was that Gip mustn't see him. I turned about and there was Gip, quite preoccupied with the shopman and thinking no evil. They were whispering together and looking at me. Gip was standing on a little stool, and the shopman was holding a sort of big drum in his hand. Hide and seek, Dada! cried Gip. Hell no! he! No! No, you do not let that man whisper to your child, and you will not play hide and seek in this demon room. And before I could do anything to prevent it, the shopman had clapped the big drum over him. I saw what was up directly. Take that off, I cried. This instant, you'll frighten the boy. Take it off. The shopman, with the unequal ears, did so without a word and held the big cylinder towards me to show its emptiness. And the little stool was vacant. Nope, nope. In that instant, my boy had utterly disappeared. You know... Perhaps that sinister something that comes like a hand out of the unseen and grips your heart about. You know it takes your common self away and leaves you tense and deliberate, neither slow nor hasty, neither angry nor afraid. So it was with me. I came up to this grinning shopman and kicked his stool aside. 
Stop this folly, I said. Where is my boy? You see, he said, still displaying the drum's interior, there is no deception. I put out my hand to grip him, and he eluded me by a dexterous movement. I snatched again, and he turned from me and pushed open a door to escape. Stop, I said, and he laughed, receding. I leapt after him into utter darkness. Ah. Thud. Lord bless my heart. I didn't see you coming, sir. I was in Regent Street. Uh-uh. And I had collided with a decent-looking working man. And a yard away, perhaps, and looking a little perplexed with himself, was Gip. There was some sort of apology, and then Gip had turned and come to me with a bright little smile, as though, for a moment, he had missed me. What? And he was carrying four parcels in his arm. He secured immediate possession of my finger. For a second, I was rather at a loss. I stared round to see the door of the magic shop, and behold, it was not there. No! There was no door, no shop. Nothing. Only the common pilaster between the shop where they sell pictures and the window with the chicks. I did the only thing possible in that mental tumult. I walked straight to the curbstone and held up my umbrella for a cab. Yeah, get the hell out of there. You also, put those packages in the <laughs> river. Ansoms said Gip in a note of culminating exaltation. What the hell is Ansoms? I don't know. Is that like, golly. A-N-S-O-M-S. Spell it one more time. A-N-S-O-M-S. M-S. Like a dictionary. That's a woman's name. No, not Ann Summers. Ansoms meaning... A sum of money, or rather payment demanded or paid for the release of a prisoner. That's ransoms. Oh, yeah, that says ransoms oh. meaning. The surname Ansom is a baptismal name of the son of Anne, or the name could have been derived from one of the villages in North and South Anson in Yorkshire. Oh, is that where they're going? Yes, it's a place. It's a place. There we go. Ansem is a meaning, a family name, a crest, and it's also a place in Yorkshire. Ha ha. Great. Because we're in England. Yeah. So, I walked straight to the curbstone and held up my umbrella for a cab. Ansoms, said Gip in a note of culminating exaltation. I helped him in, recalled my address with an effort, and got in also. Something unusual proclaimed itself in my tailcoat pocket. And I felt and discovered a glass ball. With a petulant expression, I flung it into the street. Yes, get rid of it. Gip said nothing. For a space, neither of us spoke. Dada, said Gip at last. That was a proper shop. (laughs) I came around with that to the problem of just how the whole thing had seemed to him. He looked completely undamaged. So far, so good. He was neither scared, no, nor unhinged. 
He was simply tremendously satisfied with the afternoon's entertainment, and there in his arms were the four parcels. Confound it, what could be in them? Um, I said, little boys can't go to shops like that every day. He received this with his usual stoicism, and for a moment I was sorry I was his father and not his mother, and so couldn't suddenly there, quorum publico, in our handsome, kiss him. After all, I thought, the thing wasn't so very bad. Yeah, right. But it was only when he opened the parcels that I really began to be reassured. Three of them contained boxes of soldiers, quite ordinary lead soldiers, but of so good a quality as to make Gip altogether forget that originally these parcels had been magic tricks of the only genuine sort, and the fourth contained a kitten, a little living white kitten in excellent health and appetite and temper. Oh, see, that's fucked up. So he didn't get magic tricks from demons. They gave him a pet. <laughs> that's oh, God, so much worse. Oh, God. Wait, what? What? We have a cat now? I saw this unpacking with a sort of provisional relief. I hung about in the nursery for quite an inconsequential time. That happened six months ago. And now I am beginning to believe it is all right. The kitten had only the magic natural to all kittens, and the soldiers seem as steady a company as any colonel could desire. And Gip? The intelligent parent will understand that I have to go cautiously with Gip. But I went so far as this one day. I said, How do you like your soldiers to come alive, Gip, and march about by themselves? Mine do, said Gip. I just have to say a word I know before I open the lid. Then they march about alone? Oh, quite, Dada. I shouldn't like them if they didn't do that. I displayed not unbecoming surprise, and since then I have taken occasion to drop in upon him once or twice unannounced when the soldiers were about, but so far I have never discovered them performing in anything like a magical manner. It's so difficult to tell. There's also a question of finance. I have an incurable habit of paying bills. I have been up and down Regent Street several times looking for that shop. I am inclined to think, indeed, that in that matter, honor is satisfied, and that since Gip's name and address are known to them, I may very well believe it to these people, whoever they may be, to send their bill in their own time. The end. Ew! Ew, what just (laughs) happened? No, no, that's bad. No, that kid, that kid can still do magic. That kid's going to, like, unleash uh, bed knobs and broomsticks on the Nazis. (laughs) I I like that one. Yeah, it's creepy. 
I like it. Well, I, I don't even know how creepy it is. I think it's, um, I think I started reading it in a sort of creepy sense. But it is and creepy. And that, that instilled some creepiness into it. But it is but I creepy. Think if you look at it from the point of view of anyone other, well, and maybe the point is that you're looking at it from the point of view of the dad, yeah. of the narrator, right? But I think if you look at it from anyone else's point of view, it's, it's just sort of a, um, like the kid felt nothing creepy about it. He saw this cool shop. He walked in. He it's pointed he's at some a things. Magician. He got what he liked. That's like um, that's like saying uh, Muggles when they go to visit Harry Potter's land would be like, "What the?" <laughs> so, sure. So yeah, I think that kid's a wizard, and that's why he said, "Mom can like pick up words like that too," and like Dad like didn't understand them. So like oh, maybe Mom is a he's, witch. He's he's half blood. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, very similar, like, it just kind of appears one day, and they go in, and then it disappears. Holy crap, the more I'm thinking through this, there's a ton of Harry Potter in this. Oh, so Harry Potter. Like, she stole everything. (laughs) I mean, stole everything, who knows? I would be be curious to know how familiar with this particular story old uh, J.K. was before she started writing. Very Harry Potter. Like, throughout, I mean... Oh, first I felt like we were in Willy Wonka, like that kind of kid can't come in. But no, he'd let them in and then he'd just like trap them and throw them in a chocolate river. Yeah. Um, Creepy fucker. Yeah. That is a <laughs> that terrifying is a, story. Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory is dark as a hell. Like yeah. the, not the, I didn't even watch the Johnny Depp one. But no, like, but the, the book, the, the book, book Charlie and the Chocolate Factory yes. is terrifying. Raw doll and like, but the original movie with Gene Wilder is creepy as hell. I used to watch that as a child. You know they changed the name of the movie because yeah. they wanted to they wanted the name Wonka because it's the book is Charlie and the Chocolate yes. Factory and they wanted the name Willy Wonka and the so Chocolate Factory so that they, so they could sell the Wonka chocolate bars. I know. It's all fucking capitalism <laughs> and like marketing. Look at that. We all got we all got bought it's okay. I definitely <clears throat> bought Wonka bars as a kid. I don't know why. I don't know why I would want to go to Wonka's chocolate <laughs> factory. Like, holy crap. Well, why would you want to buy Wonka chocolate bars? That kid fell in the chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that girl's like with all the eggs. Yeah. So all the eggs are made with girl. Yeah. Uh, like, These, what's her name? Like, I want it now, girl. Yeah. Like, all of the, like, forget child labor laws. This Willy Wonka's candy has bits of child so in that, it. That's why it's so magical. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, man. That was creepy. So, yeah, I would be very interested to see, like, people's knowledge. I mean, clearly, H.G. Wells, people liked him. Yeah. Um, so, I'm sure writers have, are decently well read, especially of science fiction and, like, yeah. and the, the odd... The oddities. Well, and she's she is English yeah. science fiction, and he is English, English science, science fiction. She's the father of yeah. science fiction, so um, and it's called the magic shop. Like that was very much like walking into a a, a shop that and dad can't see the magic. It's like he can't even because he can probably turn it off. It's yeah. Like, well, he it's uh well that's that's a little bit of the um and that cat is his his owl. <laughs> that cat's his. He, he like, has a familiar he's now. Familiar. Um, no, I, I was gonna say that it's it's a little bit of the like you could look at it as a story of magic, uh, sort of being in the eye of the beholder, mm-hmm. or oh, possibly yeah. a um, 
why don't grown-ups believe magic? believe in magic? And it's because as you grow up, you learn how to justify and rationalize the things you've seen. Um, whereas kids can still believe in magic because they haven't learned yet that they're that it's they haven't learned that it's not real, and so they don't spend time trying to find the scientific reason. It's like for Polar a thing. Express. It's like Polar like, Express. You can't hear the bell when you don't believe anymore. Yeah. And you can't see the soldiers march. So he could only see it in the magic shop because he's surrounded because by Because he like, was surrounded by it and forced to believe. Forced but as to soon see, as he stepped outside, he was like, oh. He hmm. started, like, by the time he had gotten in the cab, he was already rationalizing everything yeah. he had seen. Well, and, like, and like he always asks his kids, so would you like them to march? And it's like, it's like when parents, like, when kids say they talk to a ghost or something, and parents are like, so, how's your friend? How's, how's your little uh, friend? And they're What's doing it name? because they're worried about their kid, but also at the same time, they're like, oh, they just have an imaginary friend, or they like, they're, it's like Toy Story. Like, all the toys come to life. And yeah. they're like, no, they don't. Like, because parents, d- like, rationalize. Yeah. But kids' imaginations and or ability to witness magic is more. So, uh, let us know what, um... What do you still believe in? What yeah. do you, what do you, what in your life do you refuse to rationalize away? Um, whether good or bad. Uh, oh, I'd be, I'd be curious, I'd be curious to know what it is you, uh, you have hung on to from childhood or what, what, despite the fact that you are a super rational person, still lingers with like, you. Are you the kind of person who still looks in the closet or under the bed before you go to bed? Or is scared um, of the dark or uh, believes in ghosts or aliens or Santa or like whatever or, it is. Or any of that. Yeah. What, what, uh, what part of your childhood have you managed to hang on to and not rationalize away? Yeah. Um, I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Write it. Send us an email or put it on our like website. We send us a message on the website. Yeah. I'd be interested in that. I, I like one of my favorite podcasts is a paranormal podcast that I won't name because I don't want to advertise for them though they're awesome. Um, but I love paranormal stories. So like I'm so in. Like I had some weird shit happen to me as a kid. So like like ghosty things. So. I absolutely believe in that. <laughs> All right. Uh, so thanks for listening. This has been yeah. episode eight of Campfire Classics. Uh, I don't think an obvious line jumps out to me that is going to be the title yet, but we'll no. come across it no, some, at some point. Something, something about balls. And something about balls. And what was that kid's noise? Putting putting balls in his Burp. mouth. <laughs> <laughs> So this has been episode eight of Campfire Classics. I hope you enjoyed it. Thanks for joining. Uh, If you have stories that you want to hear us read, send those recommendations to us at 5050artsproduction at gmail.com or find us, send us a message through our 5050 Arts Production Company website or Facebook page or Instagram. Now we have uh, Twitter. Or Twitter. Like, gosh, we're everywhere. We're, so we're getting all come, over the place. Come find us and share. And we'd love to hear some of your favorite authors and stories that you have from childhood and, and or adultness. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, if you want to become a patron, that's on Patreon. Patreon.com slash 5050artsproduction. Yeah. Um, Be one of our founding patrons. Help us get books <laughs> and microphones and... And cool toys at the magic shop. <laughs> and groceries. And oh, yeah. Clothes. Food. And... Mm, food. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Is there anything else? No, I think that's it. Is that everything? I'm going to go get some food. I think it's time for food. It's time for food. I think it's time for food. Uh, Thank you very much for listening. This has been Campfire Classics, where we try to read those books that look really good on your shelf. Presto. (laughs) See you soon. (laughs) Thank you.